The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Juan Schmelzer. And we are thrilled to have here as a guest on today's AI Today podcast, another podcast host. If you've been listening to some of our most recent podcasts, uh, we've, we've been having podcast hosts, mainly because these other hosts have been interviewing other people and having these conversations focused on different topics. And rather than us trying to interview all the same people and have the same conversations, it's just a lot easier for us to interview the host. So we are really thrilled to have on this particular podcast, the host from the I on AI podcast, Craig Smith. So, hey, Craig, thank you so much for joining us on AI Today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. This is the first time I've ever been on a podcast other than my own. Well, then a big welcome. (laughs) We're excited that you're here with us today. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about your background and why you started the Eye on AI podcast. Sure. So I'm a lifelong journalist. I spent my career as a foreign correspondent first for the New York, uh, I'm sorry, first for the Wall Street Journal and then for the New York Times uh, in Europe and Asia, and in Asia, primarily China. Uh, I wanted to come back to the States uh, after 30-odd years overseas. And since I'd always been attached to the foreign desk, the Times said, well, go to Canada and write about Canada. Uh, And then I was in Canada writing a story on how uh, Toronto or the Toronto-Waterloo Corridor had become such a tech powerhouse, and that reporting devolved into a day with Jeff Hinton, the father of deep learning. Uh, And I ended up just writing a a profile of Jeff, uh, but he, if you've ever met him, is incredibly generous with his time and very uh, self-deprecating and funny and uh, took a lot of, uh, made a, a big, big effort to explain to me the basics of deep learning because I was coming at it from uh, the point of view of a total uh, novice or uninitiated. Uh, and that got me very excited about deep learning. And that was in 2017. And I decided, uh, but, you know, one of the problems with being a foreign correspondent is you're very much a generalist. Uh, I had been very much a China person. I still think China is very important, but I was eager to to develop uh, another uh, area of expertise. So I threw myself into deep learning, started going to conferences, uh, and I actually met Sam Charrington at, uh, at, I think it was at Inurips. And I've been listening to his podcast and I realized, hey, I could start my own podcast. Uh, So I I was going to do it with Jack Clark, you know, Jack Clark with uh, the Import AI newsletter. Uh Uh, Jack's now got a a startup of his own. Uh, And the first couple of episodes I did with Jack, but then he got busy. Uh Uh, So I started 
is reaching out to people at conferences. And it's been fantastic. I took a buyout from the Times. Uh, and one of the things that the podcast does for me is it allows me to sit down with people and have uh, deep conversations without them expecting me to write a story for them in the Times, hmm. uh, which I, I that's always made me uncomfortable uh, interviewing people and then never using the material. So uh, I love the podcast for that reason. Uh, and, and the Times affiliation, I still write for the Times and a lot of the uh, material in the podcast finds its ways in its way into articles that I, I do for the time. So uh, the Times affiliation has certainly helped open doors. Uh, and as you noted, I've had some fantastic guests, you know, Jeff Hinton, Yen LeCun, Yashua Bengio, Rich Sutton, uh, Pedro Domingos, who's a little controversial these days. Uh, I haven't managed to get Andrew Ng, Mm. And I haven't managed to get Jeff Dean there too. If uh, Andrew or Jeff, if you hear mm. this podcast, there are two guys that I've been chasing and Elon Musk. I, <laughs> I want to interview Elon Musk. Uh, there you go. Goals. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's been fantastic. Yeah. I think we have, we're, we're in a line. We would, you know, honestly, we've interviewed hundreds of people, but we are still trying to get some of these luminaries in the, in the field of AI and, I don't know. I mean, our podcast tends to the very practical because we're always talking. I mean, that's the reason why we call our podcast AI today, especially for those listeners who may be coming over from your podcast. We usually interview folks in business, uh, also people in government who are putting AI into practice. So, so they're not selling products or services. They're like, you know, Walmart or, or Home Depot, GlaxoSmithKline, Merck, you know, uh, organizations like the Department of Energy, the GSA, the IRS. We've interviewed them all. <laughs> and we know kind of what they're doing. The Home Depot one is very interesting. Uh, we yeah, also yeah. have them at our comp. We've had at conferences as well where, where we've had them had them speak. And they always talk about the, the challenges. They're like, you know, look, you know, all this stuff sounds great. But here are the issues we're running into. But, you know, at the same time, we would love to kind of hear from the, you know, the, 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 the people who are the technology researchers who are pointing to the future. My, one of my big asks is Rodney Brooks, who actually was my undergraduate advisor at MIT. He's just as hard as Andrew Ng, let me tell you, uh, for us at least. So um, what does that say? Well, that, you know, obviously they're in high demand. I mean, <laughs> we call yeah. them, they're minor celebrities. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. So um, a question for you, and actually, we, we were thrilled to be a guest on your podcast, and we actually spent a lot of our time talking about the markets, kind of where things were going in various different hot corners of the uh, AI landscape, because the AI landscape is pretty hot. Uh, but, but I know that in your interviews, you focus on a bunch of different things. So maybe you can share with us like some of the common themes that, uh, that you have been exploring on AI, of a, on AI and maybe, some, maybe you're seeing some, some trends that are, that are coming out of, the, out of those conversations. Yeah, I, I kind of cherry pick guests depending on who I have access to and, and uh, things that I'm interested in. Uh, I, I prefer talking to researchers than uh, people that are on the implementation side. Uh, I also have spent a lot of time on uh, national security uses of AI. Uh, but but generally, the, the thing that I'm interested in, and we talked about it on, on your podcast, uh, 
uh, or on my, I'm sorry, we talked about it on my podcast, is the development of unsupervised learning methods. And this is really what, you know, Rich Sutton, uh, Jeff Hinton, and uh, Yann LeCun, and uh, even uh, uh, the robotics guys like Sergey Levine and uh, Peter Abiel, uh, Chelsea Finn are, are focused on because, uh, as you noted, uh, I keep forgetting whose podcast we're on now, but as you noted on my podcast, uh, the human brain doesn't learn 80 or 90 percent or maybe 98 percent of our learning is unsupervised. The, the mom teaching the kid uh, what an elephant is or what you learn in school or college is actually a very small part of our knowledge. Uh, so I, I'm interested in that. Ian Lacoon is, is doing some fantastic work on what he calls semi-supervised learning. I'm sure you've seen his tagline, uh, you know, the revolution will not be supervised. Yes. Um, that uh, you know, if 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 you can get to that point, uh, then uh, I mean, he has the the metaphor or the analogy of uh, a black forest cake, where uh, the cake will be unsupervised learning, the frosting will be supervised learning, and the cherry will be reinforcement learning. And I know the reinforcement learning guys kind of bristle at that, but I think that's about right. And if we can get unsupervised learning methods to work, uh, I think the applications are gonna be much broader than they are with supervised learning. So that's very interesting to me. Uh, and, and with that comes the increasing generalization of algorithms or AI systems. Uh, on my podcast, we talked briefly about whether uh, AI is ever gonna get to the point or AI systems of reasoning. Uh, and I'm not a believer in the imminent advent of uh, AGI or artificial general intelligence. But I think there is a level uh, that is close to reasoning that, that could be attained uh, and that in some senses already has been attained uh, that, that uh, is within reach. I, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, the AlphaGo move, I can't remember which move it was uh, in the match against Lee Sedol. Yeah, the, 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 the God uh, move, or whatever they called it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you can get into semantics uh, about what does reasoning mean, but clearly the AI system uh, was reasoning at that point. Uh, at some level. So those are the things that interest me and that I keep hearing about. Then there's kind of the development of uh, AI in the economy and uh, how AI is developing 
among our strategic adversaries that interests me. I just had Kaifu Lee on the podcast, uh, and he's been very vocal about uh, China's advance in uh, the application of AI. Uh, he calls it the age of implementation. And whereas the U.S. has uh, dominated in, in discovery, uh, he believes China will dominate in implementation simply because of the volume of data, the more relaxed uh, views toward data privacy and the government support both in policy and uh, and financially. So uh, the, those are some of the themes that, that keep coming up and, and that I'm interested in. Yeah, and that's a great segue to my next question, because I know that you have also spent time with the folks from the National Security Commission on AI, NSC AI. And maybe for our listeners that aren't familiar with the NSCAI, can you explain, you know, at a very high level, what what they are, what they did, uh, you know, the most recent report that they published? And I know that you were able to interview many of the commissioners from the NSCAI on your podcast, and you also bring a really unique background with your focus on and, you know, deep understanding of China. So maybe could you share with us, you know, what the NSCAI is at a high level, talk about some of the key takeaways from the report and key takeaways from your interviews with the various commissioners? Yeah. So, and it's it's related to what, what I was just talking about, uh, to AlphaGo and Lee Sedol. And uh, so I'll kind of lay out the, the chronology. A lot of people don't think of it in those terms, uh, but Jeff Hinton validated deep learning in, I think it was 2012 with AlexNet uh, that woke everybody up uh, through Microsoft Research, which uh, had a, an outpost in China. Uh, the, that, that technology was very quickly uh, transmitted to China and uh and some of those people left to go to Baidu, and Baidu immediately saw the promise. So there was very quickly a, a pretty much parity in, in the research between China and the U.S. Uh, then DeepMind built AlphaGo and beat the reigning uh, champ, Go champion in Korea, Lee Sedol. I think that was in 2017, I might be wrong. It may have been 2016. A little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, in 2016. Uh, that event really woke China up to what was happening. I mean, China being the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, Baidu was already deeply involved in deep learning. Uh, this, this anecdote is told very well by Cade Metz in his book, Genius Makers. Eric Schmidt then took the deep mind dog and pony show to China and did the same thing with China's reigning champion, Ke Jie, uh, uh, but the, the, the Communist Party blocked out a domestic uh, coverage of that event. 
Uh, and shortly after that, within a year, China had come out with a national strategy on artificial intelligence and uh, a vow to spend, and again, I'm doing this from memory, but I think it was 150 billion in, uh, uh, by 2030. Uh, and as the Chinese Communist Party can do with a largely cent centrally planned economy, they started pumping money into the system and building alliances with the quasi-private sector that was already ahead on AI. And they, and they have a national program that's moving very swiftly. The U.S., uh, you know, AI research was in academia and the private sector. Very little of it was in uh in the government, uh, and they were caught flat-footed. So in 2019, uh, Congress established a commission, the National Security Commission on AI, to sit down and study this issue. Where is China? Where are we? What do we need to do to stay ahead in this space? Uh, and the commission spent two years uh, doing really an incredible deep dive uh, with a, a set of commissioners, 15 commissioners who are all uh, sort of giants in their fields. And they published a report in March uh, on uh, with a set of recommendations that included even legislative language uh, that could be slotted into uh, bills in order to implement these recommendations. Uh, so it's to me, it's fascinating that that uh, you know from from Jeff Hinton, there's this series of events that culminate in this commission, and now the commission is uh, in its public education phase uh, to try and get some of this implemented. Uh, Personally, I think it's really important. I spent, as I said, uh, the bulk of my adult life in China, and I know uh, how powerful uh, the, the Chinese government is when it focuses on something with all the tools that it has at its disposal. Uh, and the U.S. is hobbled by uh, by the gap that exists, that's really existed since the Vietnam War between uh, the public uh, or the private sector and the national security establishment. Uh, I, I think the Project Maven debacle uh, really did a disservice to the image of AI and national security. Uh, and I think the private sector it needs to embrace and support national security efforts because uh, as much as I love China and the Chinese people, the Chinese Communist Party and the Russian government under Putin have a very different vision of what society should be and uh, how AI can serve their ends in in. Uh, building and, and uh, furthering that kind of a society. And they have, China has the potential to extend that 
well beyond their borders, as does Russia. Russia fielded an autonomous tank in Syria uh, during the civil war there. And, you know, the tank failed, but it showed their willingness to deploy lethal autonomous weapons, something that the U.S. Uh, has not agreed to do. Uh, and the election interference, I think, was a warning of how fragile democratic institutions are and how easily a malign actor can sow disinformation and discord in an open society. So uh, I, I just, I feel strongly that we should all want uh, the American way of life and uh, democratic values to win. I think ultimately we're going to end up with blocks, with uh, uh, a Chinese-dominated block of uh, very controlled societies and a Western democratic block of open societies. And, the, and the, the, the fear or the danger is that AI is so powerful, particularly in surveillance, uh, that once it's implemented, I, I, it'll be very difficult to overturn or overcome a government that wields that kind of power. Uh, and I would rather, I mean, the governments are going to have that power. I would rather it be a Western democracy than a Chinese autocratic state. So anyway, that's my, that's why I got involved in the commission. Yeah, that's, that's great. And, I, and um, we'll provide some links to the NSCI. And I think we actually have an interview lined up with, with one of the commissioners with the NSCI. So we will definitely connect all those, uh, those dots. And, and our listeners may or may not know this. We have spent quite a bit of time doing research as, as we're analysts and we do research on countries. We actually do research both on country level strategies. And we've looked at every single country from Afghanistan to Zimbabwe. We've looked at their national level strategies. And one of the things that we know, and Kathleen often notes, is that every country, even some of the ones you may not be expecting, have very well-defined strategies around AI. In many cases, we talk about the, the you were talking about the big Western nations and the big powers in the Eastern China and Russia. Um, certainly, we all, you know, these are the nations that have a huge economic footprint, huge military footprint. But even countries like Colombia and Estonia and Chile and, you know, uh, countries in Africa and Asia, <laughs> They see AI as an opportunity in some cases, and they're worried about missing. Honestly, there's a lot of FOMA, which is that, oh, this is going to be the next industrial, you know, the next revolution, economic revolution. They don't want to miss out. Um, and there's also lots of fears, especially around the use of lethal autonomous weapons, and they want to be part of that conversation. So we track that. We actually have a worldwide country strategies report. We have a worldwide laws and regulations report on AI mm -hmm. as well. We cover multi-factors there. Um, and, you know, we have not had that many, many interviews with, with uh, folks from China. We, we'd love to. We'd love to. We actually, our interviews here at AI Today are pretty international. We've talked to Lord Tim Clement Jones, UK House of Lords, uh, City of Oslo, uh, our friends from Australia, uh, Hungary. Hungary as well. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, we have also as a teaser, um, we're talking to Scotland coming up as well. They've uh, released their strategy, the Scottish strategy. 
Yeah, and I think we're talking to uh, Albert King, who's the chief data officer uh, for Call. Yes, of Scotland. Yes, yeah, so cool. we are. So we're excited for that one. And then, in addition to that, we've also talked to some people who peripherally are involved as well. Uh, the country of Mauritius actually hmm. has been thinking and you know implementing coming up with an AI strategy. And so we talked to someone who helped with that. So you know, really, it's yes, some of these large, giant, you know, very powerful countries, but then also very, very very small countries that maybe you would have never thought would have gotten an AI strategy are now saying, uh, we need to, this is going to be so transformative. You know, I want to put something out, maybe get your feedback on this and that, that especially when you look at this more broader sort of lens of the people who are looking at AI, they're not as concerned with necessarily the wielding of AI from a controlling perspective, although that's a legitimate concern. I want to downplay that or the use of AI for autonomous weapons. They're actually concerned about are companies. They're concerned about Google and Facebook and Amazon and Microsoft. They're more worried, honestly, about what Facebook will do or TikTok or whatever, Snapchat. They're worried about like, oh, because in many cases, these these sort of transnational countries, companies may wield more power than the governments in which they exist. And, you know, an organization like Facebook or Twitter can, 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 you know, control conversation and, it, there, there is legitimate concern about that. And, and that's actually weird to think about it because this is not like a na- nation thing. This is kind of this, this idea of the, the tectocracy, you know? Uh, of the yeah. World. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, I would say uh, t- to get a perspective of, uh, on China, you should talk to Kai Fu Li, although uh, he's in the middle of promoting a book about uh, the AI future. And he, he really doesn't want to be drawn into the, uh, China, U.S.-China uh, conversation at all. He, I suspect it's just a sensitive time in China. He's not a Chinese national, so he operates in China at the government's pleasure. Uh, but uh, one of the points that he makes, uh, and it, it'd be worth having him make that point, is that uh, the Chinese uh, giants uh Oftentimes, uh, that th- there's a very different model, corporate model, uh, between uh, the corporate giants in the U.S. and the giants in China. That the giants in China, uh, he argues, I think a little disingenuously, that it's because they've been the subject of uh, tech colonialism uh, with Microsoft and Google, but that the Chinese giants build alliances with corporate interests or private sector interests in other countries to establish themselves. And he uses the example of uh, Didi Chuxing, who's recently come under regulatory attack by the Chinese government itself, going into Indonesia and building a partnership with a local uh, company uh, for, for, uh, ride sharing or, or ride hailing um, and that they've thrived. Whereas Uber, uh, Uber's model is to come in as Uber and dominate the local economy and there's, uh, or, the, or the local market. So uh, yeah, there is a lot of fear about uh, Google and Facebook in, in some of these countries. And it's interesting whether or not it's entirely true that China, a lot of Chinese companies play 
a different game. I mean, even ByteDance operates differently in the U.S. than it does in China through a U.S. subsidiary. And this is great because this is why we have you on our podcast. These are some perspectives that we have not had. Um, and, I, and I think just maybe just the, the way the, the, the sort of focus of our podcast are different. I think that's why we're thrilled to have this insight. And maybe we, we should reach out and we should have some of these guests as well. And we, we, we probably will. Um, and one of the other things that you've done in, on, on your podcast, you, well, you had all these conversations and, um, you know, uh, and, and you, you looked at sort of like the broad scope of what's happening with AI. I know that one of the things that we do is we definitely look at the scope of AI from the perspective of those who are trying to implement it. So it's a very different perspective. These are not the researchers or, or even leaders there. Someone said, I got to do AI. And a lot of times they don't even know how to do AI. You know, yeah. we spend most of our time, as we mentioned on your podcast, we spend most of our time just teaching people how to do AI right. You know, there is a methodology. There's a way to do it. It's proven. You know, we've had now thousands of AI projects of which many of them have succeeded and many have actually probably many more have failed. And you learn more from the failures than the successes. And I know that one of the things that we do through the CPM AI methodology, the cognitive project management for AI methodology is sort of teach and train folks on how to do that methodology right. And as mentioned on many of our podcasts and on yours, it's a very straightforward thing. And if, if our listeners are interested, they should go to courses.cognolytica.com to learn more. But the reason why I bring that up is because one of the surprises that we have had in our podcast is when we talk to chief data officers and heads of AI from major pharmaceutical companies and retail is that a lot of them are really running things surprisingly ad hoc or sort of without sort of any sort of process. And we're like, Ooh, this is kind of, kind of scary. You know, this was not, we thought we were going to ask you this question be like, Oh yeah, we have like a method and a practice and a process and we do this and we've been we're testing it out. No, they're like, now we're still kind of winging it. A lot of them. And that was a big surprise for us. In your podcast, what have you sort of heard that's like, huh, that was not what you were expecting? What are some of the surprises or, or maybe some surprise insights, things that you've heard in your podcast that maybe worth sharing with our listeners? Yeah, well, that's interesting. And along those lines, what surprised me, again, coming into AI uh, just in, in the last few years and learning it as I talk to people, is how brittle AI systems or models are. Uh, and how narrow they are, and uh, you know, I'm part of the media, and but but the public perception from the media is that AI is incredibly powerful and can do all these amazing things, but the complexity and difficulty of going from basically a toy model in a research in institution to a commercial application in production is huge. And I, I, I'm also amazed that companies are undertaking that transition without uh, the, you know, all of the, uh, and we talked on my podcast about MLOps, about all of the uh, stuff that has to happen around the model in order for it to be robust and and um, and persistent or consistent. Uh, you know, I, I'm talking to, there's a lot of talk about robotics. I know that you guys are interested in robotics, um, but I've had uh, a lot of the leading AI roboticists on the podcast 
partly because in the popular mind, in my mind too, when you think of AI, you think of robotics. I mean, every other article I see on AI has uh, an illustration of a robot touching something. Uh, but as you guys know, robotics is one thing, AI is another, and, and marrying the two is not trivial. Uh, so uh, I, I spent time at the Berkeley AI uh, Robotics Lab, and getting a robot to pick up an object from a bin and drop it in a box, which is the state of uh, really the state of AI robotics in industry today is, is uh, picking, uh, is incredibly difficult. And to it's in difficult in the lab, and to get that to work at scale in production is incredibly difficult. So uh, what I'm saying is one of the things that surprised me across all of the interviews I do, as amazing as these things are in research, they're still very brittle and very narrow. They break easily and, and they uh, can't be applied to a very broad domain. And I don't think the public understands that. So uh, that tempers my, uh, my enthusiasm for what the future holds in AI. I, I think it's going to be a much longer road um, than people anticipate. I mean, uh, autonomous uh, vehicles is a good example. When I first started paying attention, I was telling my mother-in-law, well, we're all going to be like summoning a robo-taxi on our phones in five years. You won't even need to own a car. Uh, but, but we're obviously a very long way uh, from that. Although that said, again, uh, China, with its government laxer government policy or more uh, supportive government policy, depending on how you want to look at it, is barreling ahead with uh, robotaxi pilot programs. And I think we'll implement some of these things well ahead of the U.S. because they're willing. Uh, it's a less litigious society and, and, you know, they look at things from a different perspective. If, if, it's, if it's good for uh, the masses, uh, you, you know, they're willing to sacrifice a few individuals, whereas the U.S., you know, the rights of the individual are paramount. Yeah, that's really great. That was a lot to digest in that um, answer. I loved it. <laughs> and for our listeners, you know, we have been interviewing other hosts because we're able to bring, you know, you're, you can bring such great perspectives because you've talked to a wide range of people and you also bring a unique background as a journalist as well. So you can kind of, you know, cut through the hype of what people are saying to get down to the real, you know, meat of what's going on. And in our um, podcast swap with the AI with AI folks, we also talked about robotics and how that can be incredibly difficult and autonomy as well. We talk about AI and the seven patterns of AI. And one of those patterns is autonomous systems. 
And you don't go from level zero, which is no autonomy. So thinking about, you know, a human fully driving a car to level five, where the car is fully driving itself, you don't jump from zero to level five, there are steps along the way. And so, you know, when you're, uh, trying to build that system, you have to think about that. And you're right. Some of these problems are incredibly difficult. And sometimes the media or people in general, you know, people can make these assumptions. Companies don't always help with, uh, you know, clarifying this. There's a lot of marketing spin that goes on. And so, you know, people just say, okay, well, you can do it in this application. So can't you do it in this? Because if you're not into robotics, you don't think, because for humans, it's not really hard to pick up different objects that have different, uh, you know, shapes and sizes and softness versus hardness. But for robots and for picker robots, that's incredibly difficult. So I did like how you pointed that out. And to solve that problem is not trivial. So when we do solve that problem, it's incredible. It's not just a trivial thing that you think about a little three-year-old can go and pick up, you know, a block versus a ball versus whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that those were some really great insights. And this has been an incredible podcast. So we thank you so much for joining us today. And with all of our interviews, we like to end with the same question because we get such a wide variety of responses, no matter how many times I ask it, which is why we love to ask this question. As a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations and beyond? Okay, that's a big question. Uh, I'll say, first of all, that I think uh, it'll continue to permeate the economy, uh, but that the limits of deep deep learning are already showing. Uh, I do not believe in AGI or artificial general intelligence the way that most people understand it, uh, or human level intelligence in, in machines. Uh, within my lifetime or even my children's lifetime. Uh, And I I think if and when it appears, uh, it'll be as an incredibly powerful tool, uh, but a tool that'll be used by humans, not uh, some autonomous uh, life form as uh, Max Tegmark uh, likes to imagine. a couple of areas that really excite me are uh, that I think will happen uh, is the decoding of brain functions and AI brain interfaces. Uh, I, I know it's controversial, but uh, what Neuralink uh, has accomplished in five years, it just blows me away. I've, Anybody listening who has not seen it should watch the Monkey Pong video uh, where a monkey plays Pong with its thoughts through a a Neuralink device. Uh, I have a tremor and (laughs) I keep telling my kids that, you know, pretty soon I'll be able to like stick something in my head and my tremor will go away. Uh, So that kind of interface really excites me. Uh, I also think that AI has the power to change education. Uh, Already there are systems that put together knowledge tracing algorithms, recommender engines, and score prediction uh, to deliver personalized education to individual students. Uh, I think that 
you know, to me, education is the foundation of a healthy society. The U.S. has lagged on that, and I think a lot of our social problems are a direct uh, result of of our faltering K through twelve education. Uh, but AI could deliver personalized education with motivations and and uh, the right rewards incentives to individual students through the internet and uh i i think that could transform society could certainly transform education as we know it so those are two areas i'm excited about i also think ai will be an important tool in solving climate change which uh you know is really the 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 issue that that we should all be focused on because it's uh, truly existential. Well, that's that's these are a lot of things to think about, and and I would say this has been a fantastic guest. You're worried, you're like, oh, I may not have a lot to to speak about, but here we are, forty minutes plus <laughs> this podcast, yeah. and we've had a lot of things to th- to think about and talk about. Some of the most, I would say, the, some of the most consequential things about AI and about society, honestly, <laughs> we could be talking yeah. about what else can yeah. we talk about? We talked about uh, climate change. We talked about global competition. We've talked about education. We didn't talk too much about healthcare. We could know, but let's not, <laughs> not get into that right now. Although you did mention a little bit with the neural interfaces. So we got a little yeah, bit of that. That's right. That's but, right. I, but I do want to thank you so much. I mean, we could go on here for another couple hours. So our listeners, uh, I want you to, to subscribe and listen to the INAI podcast. That's part of why we have these exchanges. One, because we want our listeners to broaden their education knowledge, too. There's no real competition among podcasts. That's right. People will yeah. listen to whatever they want to listen to. So we're happy to, to share the knowledge and experience. If we're providing value, we know people will keep listening to us. Same thing uh, with with your podcast. So I want to encourage, we're going to link to the podcast and we'll link to our interview as well uh, that we've had with you just so that people can hear it. And hey, listen to those. I'm going to be listening to those interviews. You got Jeff Hinton, you got Yoshi Bindio, you have Jan LeCun, man. And the other luminaries and also the NSCAI folks as well. If people are interested, there's a lot of those uh, recently. So yeah, lots of good content. One thing, too, I'll mention, I don't know if you guys do this, but I uh, run a transcript of every episode, Mm -hmm. and you can download it in the archives. Uh, Personally, I find that really valuable when I get a transcript of of other shows, uh, because you absorb a lot by reading that you miss in listening. So, yeah, you know, we actually, when we, this is a little sort of podcast to podcast banter here, but, um, you know, we started actually, we were using an online automated, we were using an automated transcript service, but we found that the accuracy rate while was okay, was, was not okay enough that we would still have to spend basically the same amount of time. And we just kind of just ran out of time. But if people really do, let us know, our listeners, because this is this is our shout out, because we love when our listeners communicate with us. Listeners, if you like our podcast and you want to see the transcripts, send us an email. Just send us an info, I-N-F-O at Cognolytica. I think you can send it to info at AIToday.live, but just send it to info at Cognolytica, C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com. Send us an email, say, I want transcripts. 
if we we get a good thing, then we'll we'll do it. Maybe one of you wants to help us out with that, then please let us know that too. Yeah. But uh, that's a great idea, and um, you know, yeah, that sounds sounds great that that you're doing that. Okay. Yeah. And just between us, I spent a lot of time cleaning them <laughs> up, uh, which I shouldn't. But I actually learn a lot by going and cleaning up. It forces me to read the transcript, and I I catch stuff that the guys said that went right over my head that I see in the transcript. So yeah, you know, uh, this is another indication that AI is not where we need <laughs> That's right. Exactly. You know, if transcripts are thrown off the machines. We're not getting to super intelligent. Yeah. Thank you so much. So we're going to give you a thank you so much for joining us on the AI Today podcast. We really have benefited a lot and hopefully our listeners have, have gained a lot in listening uh, to, to you. Yeah. Well, thank you both uh, Ron and Kathleen. And and I, uh, I hope people do, will check in at AI, on AI. I, I, I'm on all the uh, platforms, obviously, but you can also get it on the website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And we'll link to that as well in our show notes. So if any listeners would like to listen to your podcasts, and then as we have mentioned a few times <laughs> that Ron and I were guests as well. So we'll link specifically to that show and then your main page as well. So we do want to thank you so much. This was an incredible podcast. And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, including various links that we had mentioned throughout the podcast. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.